The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to um, Armchair Politics, Part 2. Our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program continues now with uh, our panel of political pundits. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Thanks. Always good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Uh, thank you. And it's always a pleasure to have joining us for our uh, roundtable, East Village Magazine editor Jan Worth Nelson. Jan, welcome back. Yeah, it's great to be with you guys. Um, moving on, we were talking about census, but let's let's talk about uh, something else that popped up uh the top elections and legal officials in Michigan jointly denounced a robocall that was making the rounds in Detroit on Thursday, labeling it a racist and inaccurate attempt to dissuade the use of mail-in voting. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson and Attorney General Dana Nessel said they want to warn residents that other misinformation campaigns are likely to crop up as the November 3rd general election draws near. The call falsely claims that voters who apply for and use absentee ballots are providing personal information that may be used by police to exercise warrants, credit card companies to collect debts, and the CDC to track people for mandatory vaccines. None of this is true. Does it it seem like conspiracy theorists are now cold calling? (laughs) It looks that way. And you, you you would have guessed that as well. And I, I'm yeah. going to say, I think this, this lack of trust encourages this conspiracy stuff. I mean, there's so many of these crazy yeah. conspiracy theories floating around, and it seems like there's more now than in the past. And again, if when the trust is gone, all of a sudden it's easier to pe- for people to, to buy into this kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, I was at Aldi's the other day, and I saw a whole bunch of thugs dressed in black clothes that were buying bread there. I'm pretty sure that they're here to... to, uh, to um, to trick us into something, just you know, people with I I heard I heard there were a whole bunch of thugs in black clothes that were um, threatening us. <laughs> Are they hoarding bread? 
Yeah, they were, they were, <laughs> were buying bread. I don't pay I mean, that any attention. Uh, that, that comment, I don't pay any attention except politics. I I, uh, I heard so. it, I heard it's true. I heard people talking about it. I'm gonna the guy who told me about it, and I saw it with my uh, with my own eyes. I'm pretty sure. Um, you know, this is probably for tr- it's probably true. Well, Matt Teller makes it onto Facebook. <laughs> There you go. The union representing Michigan prison officials called Thursday for the removal of Corrections Department Director Heidi Washington, saying it has lost confidence in her leadership over the handling of the coronavirus pandemic. The Michigan, uh, quote, the Michigan Corrections Organization will be submitting a vote of no confidence to the Michigan legislature and governor's office regarding your continued appointment as director, Union President Byron Osborne said in a letter sent to Washington and shared with the Free Press. We believe that we have done our part in trying to work with you on issues and offer solutions. Unfortunately, we are at a point where the current work conditions are unacceptable for our members. Washington, who was appointed director in July 2015, is a rare holdover in the Democratic Whitmer administration from the former administration of Republican Governor Rick Snyder. Is it, is it time for a change at uh, Michigan Department of Corrections? <clears throat> well, what has changed? There, something has to drive it. What do you think has changed I mean, to enable us? There's certainly been an outbreak of, of COVID cases, but that's oh that's yes, been true yes, for many that's prisons that. across the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. I'm well, not informed on this. That's this an is interesting this thing, is the huh? prison. Yeah. This is the prison officers' union. And there have been stories of um, widespread COVID infection in prisons. Um, in yes. fact, at some point, I, I think I even read a story that, that hinted that, uh, that the Department of Corrections might be sending COVID cases to a specific holding facility, a prison designated for COVID cases. Um, oh. But I think the I think the concern here by the prison officers union is that this spike in COVID cases in prisons is putting their members at risk, and apparently they have uh, tried to offer some some help and solutions and and not been successful, and thus the the no confidence vote. Yeah. Huh. Oh. Boy, that's a messy no, that's one, isn't it? They are at risk, and I, I saw some numbers about the number of folks, both in prisons and prison workers, who have been infected, and they were substantial. So I think mean, uh. there's clearly a worry there. And I'm, and I have to admit, when I saw this story, that I was surprised to find out that the head of uh, the Department of Corrections was a holdover from the Snyder administration, with the push from the left for prison reform. I would have thought that that would have been one of the jobs that uh, mm-hmm. the new governor would have wanted to replace with a Democrat right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course, they, can't, they couldn't anticipate the pandemic, though, which is... No, uh, but just uh, as a matter of course, because, you know, prison reform and the privatization of some aspects of uh, prisons and, and uh, prison services... Um, yeah, you know, has That's has been a big been, issue in Michigan. Yeah, it, it has been a big issue here, and I'm surprised that uh, 
Governor Whitmer didn't uh, want to put somebody um, in that position um, with that in mind. I, I mean, before there was even a COVID-19 thing, just as a, as a, a political strategy. But I, yeah, I, I, I see your point. But what, what, what would they do differently? Would there be a political leaning uh, that would have contributed to maybe more constructive uh, or a different kind of response to the pandemic in the prisons, do you think? Well, I don't know. Like you, like you said, Jen, nobody could predict that. Um, and, you know, I don't know who in that office wouldn't have been taken off guard as the entire country was by, right. by the quick spread of, uh, of this pandemic. It's just, it's just, man, it's just so painful that, you know, COVID has hit uh, communities of color so much harder than whiter communities. And now, and we all know that the incarceration rate of, of black men is so much higher proportionally than white. And now here they are <laughs> trapped in a coronavirus hot spots everywhere. It's just like a triple, a triple hammer on, mm-hmm. on the situation. So it's, oh, it's an ugly, it's an ugly situation. Tragic. They, they didn't get condemned to death, most of them, right? Some of them are nonviolent uh, prisoners. So, ugh. I don't know. What do, you, what do you all think? What should, she, what should be happening that's different? Uh, well, as I say, I think clear, clearly in the, in the COVID situation, if it's at all humanly possible, you know, the same safety things you do in, in, in school, K-12 schools and colleges, isolate folks, but it's, it's tough in prisons and in, in county jails and so forth. But some areas, some county jails and some, a few prisons have done a decent job of that. Maybe they were just lucky, but not everybody's got fully infected, but some of the, you know, the nationwide average is still pretty dismal. Well, I think we should do what Jan has suggested many times before. We need to sit down, the governor should call her legislature together and work out a deal just like she did for uh, the budget with the Republicans. Well, and put I'll, this issue behind her. I'll, I'll, throw an, issue. I'll throw an idea out, out there and they can, they can kick it around if they ever get that joint meeting, Henry. That is that um, some of the prisons that have closed should be reopened to allow ah. for the, the prison population to be... Um, housed in a more socially distanced way yeah Um, yeah that that might be a short-term fix Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh might create a couple of extra jobs along the way uh but that's but that's one way because what happens with prisons much like schools you want to see them full or at least that you know, you don't sure. want to see prisons full, but you build a facility that will hold X number of people, and the expectation is that there are going to be that many people in it. And um, and so, and usually they're over full. Most jails and most prisons are over over the usual recommended levels. Exactly. In, in recent practice. Yeah. Well, Where do we find the money to to support that budget increase? Right, that that was going to be my question, too. Well, yeah. but this is the time to make those suggestions, because where are we finding the money for anything? I know, yeah. But but we, we can't drive the state further and further into um, uh, 
budget deficits. We, we, we've got to, uh, this is too difficult. Unless you go to the people and ask them for a tax and you, uh, to, to do that, uh, we're stressing the rest of the stable governmental systems. Well, I'm going to try and squeeze. schools. I'm going to try and squeeze uh, one more one more story in before we go to break. Uh, most Michigan residents, included in a recent survey, believe the country is headed in the wrong direction. The economy is worse now than it was a year ago, and disapprove of the way President Donald Trump has handled the coronavirus pandemic. In turn, the state has a slightly more favorable view of former Vice President Joe Biden than the president, according to data from the Democracy Fund and uh, UCLA Na- Nationscape Project. The survey, conducted from July 2nd to August 19th, included responses from 1,182 Michigan residents among the approximately 40,000 responses collected nationwide. About 48% of Michiganders surveyed have a favorable view of Biden compared with 42% for Trump, but 53% view the president unfavorably compared with 44% for Biden. Um, I I guess my question, and it's always the same question uh, in recent years, does this poll forecast anything? (laughs) I'm not buying it. I don't want to be no, overconfident. Yeah, I, I think we should. Yeah, that's well, a biased uh, proposition, point of view. Yeah, we, we need we to have someone that for Hillary, was, for uh, for Michael Dukakis, for for uh, for a lot of other people who did not make it. So I no, I would not be overconfident. <laughs> I say, when I see those, I get a little uneasy because I think it's going to unfortunately might make people overconfident and and. And uh, that's what happened in 16, I think, is a lot of folks felt Hillary had it in the bag and they chose not to vote or didn't, didn't do any kind of work. Is there a without, do, is there a Without using defense? up all your time, Tom, I do want to say that uh, Ted and I have a personal memory that's relevant here where we were housing a Clinton campaign worker back in 2016. We were staying in our house for two weeks before the election. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we just assumed she was, Clinton was going to win. And this young woman who was standing in her house every night is like, oh, my God, they're not doing it right. They're not doing this. They're not doing that and everything. She, you know, she knew from the beginning that things weren't looking right, at least in Michigan. And um, mm. she was, you know, so I just keep thinking about that. It's like, oh, my God, who knows what's really going on behind the scenes. I hope. I hope somebody is paying attention. Yeah. I mean, that's my political bias. I'm sorry. that uh, is, is there a... Uh Dewey defeats Truman moment on the horizon. That's what I'm <laughs> Good day. Exactly. That's uh, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're listening to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program with Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, joined by East Village Magazine editor Jan Worth Nelson. We need to take a short break here, and then we'll uh, we'll come back with uh, uh, some of the national headlines and current events when Armchair Politics continues. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, our voice is Radio WFOV in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. Uh, We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And don't forget, if you ever miss an interview or a part of Armchair Politics, check out the website Hello, archive. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The 
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, and they are our roundtable regulars joined this week by uh, East Village Magazine editor Jan Worth Nelson. Welcome back, everybody. Hello again. Thank you. Well, with the political conventions behind us and Labor Day approaching, it's the time of year when down-ballot elections start to kick into high gear. At the start of the 2020 cycle, the Senate wasn't expected to be all that exciting, with Republicans largely on defense in red states, but that's changed. With President Donald Trump trailing in national polls, Democratic challengers are raking in millions in demographics uh, shifting across the South. Many of those Republicans, uh, Republican incumbents are sitting in states that don't look as red as they used to. Democrats need a net gain of three seats to flip the chamber if they also win the White House. Since the vice president would break ties, four seats if Trump wins uh, re-election. Although those net gains are possible, Democrats' path is still complicated by the fact that they're likely to lose a seat in Alabama, where Senator Doug Jones tops CNN's inaugural ranking of the 10 Senate seats most likely to flip in 2020. Still, eight of the top 10 seats on this list are held by Republicans. That the GOP is on defense is a reflection of their success in 2014. Half of the senators on this list are Republicans who were first elected six years ago. Two others are longtime incumbents who are facing their toughest challenges yet in South Carolina and Maine. Besides Alabama, one other Democrat-held seat comes in at the bottom. Gary Peters of Michigan is the only other Democrat running for re-election this year in a state Trump carried, albeit narrowly, in 2016. But Peters is not raising major alarm bells for national Democrats, especially in a state that looks to be moving away from Trump. It's possible this race drops off the list in subsequent rankings. But the, uh, the overarching question is, do you think the majority will flip in the U.S. Senate? Uh, hmm. I, uh, I don't know. Uh, I've, been watching the, I'd, Go ahead. I've been watching the Peters and John James ads quite a bit, and I thought the, I, I just don't know. I, I, thought the, I thought the new one that just came up about Betsy DeVos and John James was pretty effective, but um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but the now. invisible Peters hangs in pretty good, too. Oh yes! Oh geez, I know. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. No, I, it, it's it's a toss up for me. I, I clear, clearly you hope it happens, but I I don't really know. It's it's a, a, trying to change that many seats, and like I said, even the Peters race, the the polls I've seen gives him a very slight edge. I mean, just a point or two. And uh, well, I'm struck by how both candidates are are, are running their campaigns. Peters, interestingly enough. In one of his ads, makes the point that he's actually worked with Donald Trump, I think, for some cherry tariffs of some kind. And James seems to have, I saw a recent ad where he made a point of, of not agreeing with Trump on some issue, although he has on so many other things. So it's, it's really curious how both uh, 
James and Peters are playing the Trump issue in Michigan so far. Yeah. Well, their individual strategy is different, and rightfully so. Um, I believe that Peters, uh, using Betsy DeVos's uh, uh, interaction as right. uh, something that's negative, I don't think that that's going to fly. I don't. I, nobody can. Oh, I, I think I think the DeVos that. charge will carry pretty well with liberals, Henry. About the schools. Well, that's the, true, but I'm talking about the people. I mean, it's talking about one side of it. I'm talking about the general. In fact, there was a very interesting story yesterday in the Detroit News on DeVos in terms of how well her family's finances have done during her tenure as Secretary of Education. While she's, <laughs> she's giving up her salary, uh, her, her family investments have done dramatically well in the last three the years. The losses were rich to begin with. They, they well, yeah, suffer yeah. for money. And that's who's uh, making so money in this pandemic, that. are people that were rich to begin with. Well, and that's how things have always been and probably always will be. We shouldn't be begrudging of people who know how to do that. A very well-researched story that the Detroit News put out. And the Detroit News is not usually a liberal-leaning newspaper, but it was a, a hard-edged story on the DeVos family. Huh. Yeah. Nobody and wants to make any predictions about uh, where control of the Senate will be next year? God, I don't know how to make any predictions. I, I'm in PTSD. Yeah, I'm cautious. Yeah, I, I mean, I but, but you know, I do think, I, I do think that the people in general have a favorable um, view of Black Americans who run for Congress, who have a clean um, background, and who are prepared. I think that they are willing to take that risk. I really do. That's what I think. Despite of all of the negative things that we say about Democrats and Republicans, but in this case, you have to look at the behavior of the people. Do you think and, uh, James... Um, and I think that John James has a good chance. Do, do you uh -huh. think he's attractive enough as a candidate that he will, uh, um, that he will attract black voters across the aisle? That's the question. That is the question. And I'm so glad that you guys are... Looking at that, look at the tension between black and whites, and look how, just because of a political uh, logo, blacks turn their back on other blacks when the question of uh, running for a seat in Congress with a Republican label. But the, you would think that the that the skin color would be forgiving for those who sit within that jurisdiction, but this is not the behavior yet. Eventually, that will grow. When we can do what, when people can do what athletes can do, they can come together despite that difference and make things work. But the yeah. culture cannot do that yet. We're we're having some trouble in that area, aren't we, Henry? We really are. Yes, we are. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, here's the thing. I believe the United States is, will be a better nation if, and we found out that black people for the first time can move the needle. Before that, blacks were insignificant. They were seamless, just like Mrs. Obama said. They don't see you. You're right, because you have no impact. But now, 
that the needle, uh, Trump has that needle moving a little bit, black people will gain a prominence in American politics that they never, never had before and will be run with the big dogs. Just yeah. like Hispanics and all other cultural groups do. This is that, that was the downfall for all these years. They can't do anything by themselves. And they don't know how to work together. But maybe what is being generated under the Trump administration, we can. And we can make our country a better country than a, a political ragtag. Well, here's, here's kind of a sidebar to the uh, convention last week. Acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf on Sunday defended the naturalization ceremony that took place at the White House and was later aired during the Republican National Convention, calling it a legitimate role for the department to do. It was an official event by the White House uploaded to a public YouTube channel. Anyone any individual organization or political party can pull down that video and do with it as they wish. Wolf told ABC's uh, Jonathan Carl on, uh, on this week. Wolf also said he was not aware that footage of the ceremony would be aired during the Republican convention, an act that flexed the powers of the incumbency during the highest-profile political event of the calendar. During the convention, the White House was used as a backdrop for other programming, including the immigration naturalization ceremony, video of President Donald Trump overseeing the naturalization ceremony for five new U.S. citizens at the White House, was shown at the convention and later posted to YouTube. Was it inappropriate to conduct, uh, or or at least to replay this uh, naturalization ceremony during a national political convention? Yes, it totally violated the Hatch Act. Yeah, in my yeah, yeah. it raises all those issues by using the White House for campaign purposes. But this is an unprecedented year, and there was nothing. Well, they had to make allowances for some things and, and you're right about I, I question the the violation of Hatch Act. And, and well, the Hatch Act says, certainly would have applied to um, the First Lady's uh, remarks in the Rose Garden, the President uh, doing his uh, acceptance speech on the East Lawn um, and, and it seems as though President Trump and the Republicans for that matter um, we're really testing the Hatch Act. My concern is that I'm not sure anybody really cared. Well, that's exactly uh, what. Yeah, probably. Yeah, uh, I mean, my, my own personal reaction was I was I was less offended by the by the swearing in by the uh, naturalization ceremony than I was by the acceptance speech, you know, with the White House as a background and everything else. But but you're exactly right. I suspect for the American public. There'll be a lot of shrugging of the shoulders on that issue. This has kind of gone the but, way but of this, residency this requirements. A, I mean, this is one of those issues. Where when, when Mark Meadows, the chief of staff to the President of the United States, says, nobody cares, and this is a, this is a law, and Mark Meadows yeah. is saying it doesn't really matter, that nobody cares if laws are broken. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, what is yeah. it? Uh, that was okay. a mistake. That was a mistake. Republicans need to show that they are forever law-abiding citizens because people follow you. The people who, who vote for you and the people who oppose you and the people who are independent and the kids behind you, they are watching you. 
So we try to, run out of law and order try campaign, to minimize violating the law. Right. But I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I kind of really loved it because these are things that I don't typically see. But, and, you know, uh, the White House belongs to me, too. The White House belongs yeah. to everybody, supposedly, in this yes. country. And so I was offended by that that, that, that that property that belongs to me and all the other 330 Americans was used for purely political purposes that night. And it wasn't uh, an event that even contributed toward bringing the country together. So, I mean, I was just, I was really, yeah. I was really offended by that. They used mm -hmm. my house. They didn't ask my permission. And it, and it was a violation, in my view, of, of you know, some standards. That, of campaign law. Yeah, yeah, for good yeah. reason. So, um I, I just thought that... But that I've I, already consented to the fact that I believe it was the wrong thing to do. So uh, I can expound on other things. I have already said that, and I can't change that. And nobody else can. But I know, but you never heard that. We need to try to avoid that in the future. You never heard you that know, from top Republicans at the time, Henry. Like, where was Mitch McConnell? Where was Lindsey Graham? You know, those guys, they, you know, who were supposedly great Americans in their views, uh, just kept their mouths shut and let it happen. I, I'm, yeah. I'm just, yeah. Just but, but, but there was some talk behind scenes about that. There was some concerns. If you're if you're a state lawmaker and you you're not supposed to take a campaign contribution in your in your state office, you're supposed to walk across the street to your campaign office to do that kind of campaign related yeah. business, even those minor things like that. Or up to the corner and get it in a brown paper bag like we used to do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, a federal judge is ordering the Trump administration to answer questions and turn over evidence about postal service policy changes within 10 days as part of a lawsuit brought by a collection of states over mail slowdowns and the impact on the 2020 election. Um, without going into uh, all of the particulars of this, I'm, I'm going to try and move things along a little bit because there are a couple things I want to get to for sure. But has the uh, U.S. Postal Service ever been under attack of this kind or, or this kind of scrutiny in the past? Guys, and I said this in the past, has done a great job since the Pony Express. Yeah. And performing services for the American people. And uh, I know that the Internet now comes out and challenges that because there's a better way and faster way of doing things. I can kind of see, I can see both sides of it, yeah, and not quite convinced of uh, which side to uh, follow yet. Uh -huh. Because, yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah. I, but I don't want to see our post office disappear, that's for sure. Because yeah. well, part of the problem is the fact that, that they're they're required to, to 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 fund their retirement program in a rather a rather unusual way, com even compared to a lot of private businesses. That that's part of their financial problem. Now, the other part is the decline in in first class mail and all that. But they there are requirements that they fund their retirement um, medical retirement program medical programs in a very high level compared to other businesses. So that has put some real financial pressure on them as they've laid off employees in recent years. Yeah, it's it's tricky. I mean, I understand that the use of the mail has been greatly affected by 
you know, email and all that kind of stuff. I've been te- I've told the story a bunch of times about going in the post office one day. Um, this was in San Pedro, actually, and um, there was a kid in there who was trying to mail a letter, and he didn't know where the return address was supposed to go and where the <laughs> main address was supposed to go. And there were these old ladies behind the counter that were trying to explain to this kid how to fill an envelope to mail it. <laughs> That's funny. I, I, I got a similar story. We had a friend. Our public who, school system today. Yeah. <laughs> we, we had a, a friend who was a stu- actually a, a graduate student at Michigan State, and she had not sent a letter for so long. She says, where do you buy stamps? <laughs> what is a stamp? You know, that kind of thing. What, what is this funny thing called a stamp? <laughs> That's true. It's, Henry raises, a, I, I, Henry raises a, a, a point of ambivalence about this. The world has changed a lot since Ben Franklin started the post office. That's true. Yes. Uh, I would. I don't and want it will to continue to change. And yeah. we're now blogging online and not in Richard's, uh, poor Richard's almanac. <laughs> yeah. Um, Melania Trump's former confidant, Stephanie Winston Wolkoff, or Wolkoff, is uh, dishing out a behind-the-scenes look at the allegedly contentious relationship between the First Lady and First Daughter, Ivanka Trump. In her forthcoming book, Melania and Me, The Rise and Fall of My Friendship with the First Lady, Wolkoff details the painstaking efforts she and allegedly Melania took to block Ivanka from appearing in photos of President Donald Trump's swearing-in at the inauguration. Do the number of anti-Trump books coming out have any impact on the public or the electorate? Oh, I think it does on some on parts of the electorate, the people who don't like Trump. Uh, that's going, and, and, and uh, I don't know what the percentage is, 40% or whatever, uh, but it's likely to cement their, their um, stand <laughs> against Trump. Their animus. Although, having said, yeah. Having said that, though, once you got past the first couple of books, there's a certain point at which you say, Saturation. well, nothing really new. I mean, it's the same stuff, new, new, new details and, and oh. new nuances. But other than that, it's still pretty much the same picture that we've had after the first, I don't know, three or four books came out from some of the Trump employees. Yeah, we, it's, it feels like we already knew all this stuff. And the repeated buildup of all these anecdotes, it's like, yeah, 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 okay, we know. I mean, who is, yeah, who, it's a good question. Who is this going to convince? If you're still supporting this guy uh, at this point, what is going to convince you, you know? I yeah. thought he was done when with the Hollywood, uh, the Access Hollywood thing. <laughs> True. No. True. No. reporter. Was done, and that was three and a half years ago. And there's, and he's been documented to have lied twenty thousand times. And you know, that's this poor guy that's one of the fact checkers was saying after Trump made the thing about the planes and the people in the black clothes, the thugs in the black clothes. He's saying it's just, it's too dumb. It's too dumb to even investigate. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, this, it's just so exasperating. I. Well, Interior Secretary David Bernhardt on Monday announced plans for an oil and gas leasing program in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, or ANWR, clearing the way for drilling in the remote Alaskan area. 
Bernard said future leases of the federally owned land will make the entire 1.5 million acre coastal plain area available. Should we be drilling in Anwar? Uh, you know, we have to listen to our experts on that. It, oh, if the ground is impermeable and uh, you can get the oil out without contaminating the North Sea or, or the uh, Atlantic Ocean in that area or in other tributaries and bodies of water, we need to take a serious look at it. Otherwise, I would caution you because um, the United States is already self-sufficient in right. oil and energy. Mm-hmm. We don't need to go there now. Yeah, I, I kind of lean in that same direction. I mean, the science is important, but I lean against against that myself. And finally, and we only have yeah. a couple of minutes left, um, President Donald Trump visited Kenosha, Wisconsin yesterday, going against the oh. wishes of officials requesting he stay away from the city, which is still coping from the recent shooting of an unarmed black man by law enforcement and subsequent demonstrations that have turned deadly. Uh, the president did not meet with the family of Jacob Blake, the man who was shot in the back seven times. Trump claimed that he's not meeting with Blake's family during his Wisconsin visit because they wanted to involve lawyers. Um, let's see. Without going into the rest of the details, did the president's trip help or hurt his image? Well, if I could say this first, you cannot intimidate the president of the United States. He has a job to do, and he must do that job based upon what he thinks to be the facts and the evidence and what the outcome is expected to be. You can't let a mob, you cannot let any kind of a system desecrate anything that the president does. He belongs to all of the people, and the people are expecting him to to act in such a way that he stabilizes an egregious situation. That's what he must do, and he has to take blame for it, whatever the outcome is. And he, I believe he's yeah. willing to do that. But I'm thinking stabilize, showing up probably didn't stabilize much. I mean, Yeah, but that's what people wanted to do. Did it help or hurt him? You made the black guys mad, so the black guys will act out in such a way, or Antifa or whatever, yeah. and the people will be further intimidated. The president had to walk that tightrope. Did you say he takes responsibility? Did I hear you say? Henry? Yeah, I, I, he's got to accept responsibility for the outcome. He That's does. I haven't heard it. I haven't. But heard I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about it. So there's no nothing, nothing to teach. <laughs> if you don't have, if you don't have a discussion or an outcome of an event, you have nothing to teach anybody else. So we don't know yet. They have to start uh, burning down stuff and tearing up and throwing chairs and turning over tables and stuff like that. But I don't—I haven't heard anything. Well, on that note, on that note, we have to go to break. But that means we're uh, just a little bit closer to my favorite part of armchair politics, which is the coveted X Files. Coming up after we let our broadcast partners at WFOV ninety-two point one FM, our voices radio in Flint. Uh, 
squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Virtual playdates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, 
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody. This is always my favorite part of the Tom Sumner program when we get to the coveted X-Files. They're actual news stories that uh, just seem a little hard to believe. Um, and we uh, kick it off with, uh, with this one. Throughout history, heroes have appeared when, theme- when things seemed their darkest. That may be the case in a small town in rural Japan where local farmers have been dealing with hordes of hungry monkeys eating up potatoes, onions, eggplants, and cucumbers for the last month, according to a Japanese-language publication um, in the region. Now help is on the way in the form of three older women who call themselves the Monkey Busters. The trio use air guns to scare monkeys away from the crops. The website says the women are so dedicated to to the cause, they often show up to a monkey sighting still in their aprons so not a moment of monkey scaring is wasted. I guess the only question is when you have a horde of hungry monkeys, who are you going to call? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. Um, yeah. I imagine that the atmosphere would be very foul from uh, <laughs> the gases that are exposed. <laughs> from onion and all the things. <laughs> I don't well, scientists at Warsaw's Zoo have been taking blood, saliva, and other samples from the zoo's three elephants in recent days to prepare to test whether giving them hemp oil can reduce their stress. Oh. A zoo oh. veterinarian said hemp oil, also known as CBD or cannabidiol oil, uh, yeah. has been shown to reduce anxiety and stress in other animals, including horses and dogs. The hmm. zoo's experts thought it made sense to see if it could also help their animals, including giraffes, rhinos, and polar bears. 
They decided, however, to start their tests on their three African elephants who have undergone a period of stress following the death in March of a fellow older female, Erna. If the study works as hoped, the oil will merely calm them down a little bit and have anti-inflammatory and other benefits, um, the, the zoo people told uh, the Associated Press on Friday, as the animals ate large branches behind her. It will work in different ways, but it will not give them any high, she said. Hemp oil is not a drug. We would never apply anything that is dangerous to the animals she added <laughs> how stressful is our world when we're concerned about relieving stress for the elephant in the room uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought the elephant in the room was the cause of the stress that's right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right well um, um, go, go ahead I have, I have nothing to say. All right. Well, a 150-pound tortoise who escaped from a Tennessee home has been returned after 74 days managing to make it less than a mile during his slow and steady journey. Though the uh, tortoise named Solomon crawled away from his Ashland City enclosure more than two months ago, he was discovered just an eighth of a mile away from home last week. Uh, his owner, Lynn Cole, said a man and his son spotted Solomon grazing in a valley at a construction site and returned him within minutes. He didn't seem to make it far, but Cole said the true extent of the 15-year-old tortoise's trek remains a mystery. <laughs> he Do went an eighth of a mile. <laughs> <laughs> two months? <laughs> yeah, in two months' time. Now, do you think they put off their search for two months because they knew he couldn't have gone far? <laughs> I don't. I have no. Okay. The race does not go to the swift in that case, does it? That's wow. right. That's right. <laughs> and that just struck me as odd. First of all, he only made it an eighth of a mile in seventy-four days. <laughs> <laughs> but then. What does that say about oh. the people looking for him <laughs> that in 74 <laughs> days they That's couldn't right. find him an eighth of a mile wow. away? Maybe they were as big as he is. Yeah, this wasn't just a, you know, a little terrarium turtle. This is a 150-pound yes. tortoise. Wow. I mean, this is a tortoise that could have his own parking place. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently did for about 74 days. I think the X-Files you picked this week are just... Are just what? It's... Your yeah. phone cut out, Jan. We're losing it. I'm sorry. We can't hear you. It's in my charge, I think. Now, what did what did you say about the X Files this week? They're they're making us just lose our. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay, I'm I'm gonna put. I think we just lost. Uh, I think we just we lost have, Jan. Know. Yeah. Well, I'm still here, guys. Yeah, so am I. 
Yep. Well, and we, we are getting pretty close to the end of uh, uh, today's edition of uh, the Tom Sumner program. And we are, in fact, at the, uh, well, uh, I was going to say we're at the end of armchair politics, but we actually have a couple of minutes left if anybody has uh, any final thoughts. Well, you know, uh, go ahead, Henry. Go ahead. No, you. I was just going to say it's going to be a competitive campaign, and it's, it, it looks like it's going to be a nasty kind of campaign, unfortunately, all the way around. Um, and what the impact of the, the the COVID virus is going to have remains to be seen. Uh, but ironically, it may. Uh, my guess is we're going to have one of the largest turnouts that we have ever seen for, for we've long seen for a campaign. So I. That's 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 the only surprise we may see this year for so far. And Tom, I wanna <clears throat> I wanna point this out that the advent of the new um, African American on the political mach machine that presents two sides of an issue that you've never seen before. You've always seen just one side of an issue. And the others have been suppressed by the press, the political parties, and the blacks themselves. So this is going to be interesting as we move closer and closer to 2050 and we have the paradigm shift. Some Americans, some black Americans will be ready to assume a dominant role in a new political process. And the country will benefit from that. Henry, were you surprised to see how many African Americans there were at coming for speaking at the Republican convention last y week? Yes, there was, and there's a story that they had, and those stories were always suppressed, and uh, press didn't pay any attention to it. The African Americans they couldn't talk in their own communities, whereas whites and other cultural groups can dialogue back and forth, but in the black community, there was never such a transfer and an exchange of information. This bodes well for the United States, and it bodes well for the young people that uh, are taking over the process in 20 years. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of Armchair Politics. I want to say uh, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, first, Henry Hatter. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Henry. Thank, thank you. you, sir. And, thank you. Uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, it's always uh, always a treat. Any quick comment on uh, Bobby Clayton Walton being chosen uh, as elector oh, for yeah, the, that's for that's the right. Dems? Yeah, she, I, I watched the Democratic State Convention online, and she was chosen the uh, the elector from the 5th District. So I think it's... Oh, I'm so proud of that. Yeah. I'm yeah, so I, proud of her. And I'll yeah. go, and <clears throat> when she's... Uh, is she is seated? And the Republicans uh, win Michigan. Uh, she didn't defeat it. But if she is defeated, I will congratulate her. Oh, it's good. Openly. Yeah. Well, um, we, get, we have to end it there, but uh, I, I also want to include in my thank yous uh, Chris Douglas from University of Michigan Flint for joining me earlier this morning before Armchair Politics and, of course, a regular contributor to Armchair Politics, East Village Magazine, Jan Worth Nelson. Thanks, uh, thanks everybody, and uh, to all the people listening, uh, thank you for tuning in. And I'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. In the meantime, stay safe and uh, stay dry. Good night, everybody.
program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.